I'm Mark Kilmer, and I listen to the movie Bunker Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker Podcast with myself, Matt, and... It's me, Chris. Hi, Chris. How are you today? I'm all right. Yourself? Good. Episode 17. Ooh. Ooh. Can you tell us what's coming up in today's episode, Chris? Yes, of course I will. On this week's podcast, we are going to be looking at Point Break 2015, the remake of the classic. We're going to be talking to Colin Patterson a bit later on in the show. He is the BBC's arts and entertainment correspondent, so he's done a lot of red carpet, he's done a lot of Oscar and Razzies, which is the most important thing. Uh, He's got a massive love of sports films, especially golf movies, so we're going to have a lovely nice chat with Colin later. Um, We'll be doing the normal stuff, looking at reviews on Tinternet and picking out the best ones and doing silly voices. (laughs) Sounds amazing. I wish I could listen to it rather than talk on it. If you want to join in the chat and suggest films to us for future podcasts, or at least get involved in some of the discussions about these brilliantly critically panned films, um, because the the game of the podcast is to find the diamond in the rough, that nugget, that good film that's been critically panned that we can both say, actually, it's worth it. It's worth the pain to watch it because it's actually quite good. But if you want to get involved in that discussion, on Twitter, we're at movie underscore bunker. On Facebook, we have a page. You can like us metaphorically on there. And we're on YouTube and we're on Instagram with the millennials. So get involved anywhere you can and we can talk about films to the cows come home. Awesome. Okay, so um, as always, here's the trailer to the upcoming film that we're going to talk about. (laughs) Nice intro. Thanks. (laughs) What kind of people are we dealing with here? A set of perps with a very unusual skill set. Utah, I need a theory. So why not deploy your chute above the jungle and escape like a normal person? Because I'm thinking these aren't normal people, sir. I believe that, like me, the people behind these robberies are extreme athletes. Using their skills to disrupt the international financial markets. And they don't care who gets killed in the process. They call me Bodhi. There's a few billion dollars of gold down there. You're gonna steal it? No, we're going to liberate it. Oh, you think you're brothers? Now you show me whose side you're on. Criminal masterminds. These just kids partying away their lives. We can get these guys. I just need more time. Bodie, do you have any idea how many people you've killed? How many laws you've broken? The only law that matters is gravity. Stop! So yeah, 2015, this ridiculous remake was made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2000. Why wait so long? That's what I want to know. Mm. <laughs> Why wait a mere uh, maths? 24 years before making it again when they could have just made it straight away <laughs> I'll kind of just tell you initially my initial thoughts about this movie because go on then. there's nothing in it for me personally <laughs> I mean it wasn't it wasn't good uh, put it that way what did you think about it <sighs> uh, so the problem with these films um, like the last remake pointless remake we do I, I, I have to give them their full title because 
that they are pointless. Like the last pointless remake we did, Robocop, the, the original holds a huge place in people's hearts. Mm. And it, and for a good reason. There's there's the film, you know, in 1991, there was a myriad of films out. But, you know, one of the few you remember from that year and one that you've probably watched seven, eight times, nine, maybe, uh, <laughs> is Point Break. And the reasons for that is because it's... Of like multitude of reasons, it was a good action film. It had a compelling story, great characters. No one's going to remember this film, and, and I can prove this because um, I said to my wife last night, "Oh, I got to watch Point Break, the remake, because we're doing it on the podcast." And she was like, "Oh, good. Um, I haven't seen that." When yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we'd watched it, you know, when it first um, bounced onto TV on on the Sky channels, um, as you tend to do because films come easily to you if you do it that way um mm. so we'd watched it before and she had literally no memory of it and she was quite excited she said, oh good i haven't seen that before and like you have i can't believe you've managed to indoctrinate your <laughs> wife into this podcast by making her do this with you yeah see i mean there's certain films i mean movie 43 was a tough sell <laughs> especially yeah. after the first thing and to be honest after the half an hour of this uh she went actually i think i'd rather be unconscious <laughs> so she went upstairs um and slept sleep <laughs> yeah she didn't just drink herself into a well, stupor or anything that, that's what i do I think the original Point Break, and it's going to be hard to talk about this film without bleating on about the original. But yeah, I, I they've, think... they've chosen to do this. If they'd have just made yeah. an action film, then we wouldn't probably even be talking about it at all. So you, you have to you have to put the mirror up if you like. Point Break, the original, is arguably perfect. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of just the style and um, the bromance and the the action and, and and the depth of the characters and 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 the journey that's to Keanu Reeves' characters goes on, it's perfect. I love that film, and yeah. it's uh, P- uh, Catherine Bigelow directed this is, uh, yep. years ago, and she's gone on to do amazing stuff. But this um, this remake, let's talk about the remake because yeah. let's start. But, but we have to. So, like, um, the plot is mostly similar to the original one in the sense that there's an F- a young buck FBI agent um, looking to make a name for himself and get on the starting rung of the ladder with a with a past who starts tracking down these group of criminals who do crime in a in a, a fantastical fashion. Well, they're doing these kind of sophisticated corporate heists, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. This is the thing. Is it's just like they they, they do over elaborate crime. <laughs> um, there's no way else to put it. I mean, like the original film, the most elaborate thing about it was the fact that they put on masks. That was, yeah. you know, and that's not really elaborate. Most bank robbers, it's like bank robber 101. You know, uh, day yeah. one of bank robber school. What do I do when I rob a bank? Have you got your masks? Everyone bought their masks. Oh yeah, no, I've got my masks. So um, it wasn't elaborate. They just wore masks, broke in. Stole a bunch of cash, jumped in a uh, van at the outside, and drove away. Whereas in Point Break, the remake, and, and this is the the thing you can label the whole entire film is that they've they've gone and tried to ramp it up to a hundred, to to eleven. They they they've gone big. They cr- they've also, they, they give they've given these uh, criminals a a bit of a moral backbone as well, haven't they? They've they've kind of they've tried, instead of yeah. Th- yeah, they're sort of they're not they're not criminals to to make money for drugs. They're not stealing money to 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 better themselves or their own to, you know to live better. They're stealing cash or bringing down corporations or you know doing big grand gestures to to prove yeah. a point. Uh, they're li- a they're liberating point. gold at one point. 
And yeah. that is an actual quote from the film. Why are you stealing this gold? I'm not stealing it. I'm liberating it. It's not people. <laughs> it's not some uh, overexposed females um, running around in a cargo container. It's gold. That's a good example of the clunky, deadpan dialogue in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. The dialogue in this film is horrendous. And the, and the acting is generally shite. When Ray Winston stands out as a gliming light of acting, you know the rest of the cast have done poorly. <laughs> Should we go talk about the cast? Um, okay, so um, Edgar Ramirez plays Bodie. He's been in stuff. I mean, yeah, he, he's not a bad actor from um, White Member in the past. Uh, he's to interrupt you again. Gerald Butler was was uh, lined up to play that role. <laughs> uh, Gerald Butler's rapidly becoming our podcast favorite actor. I don't think there's a single episode that we've been through uh, where we haven't <laughs> mentioned Gerald Butler. Fuck, I'm thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thirsty as fuck. <laughs> that was it. Sorry, yeah. I backward quoted him. I'm thirsty as fuck. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, imagine him in this film. He wouldn't have been thirsty. There was a massive load of water at one point. Um, <laughs> he would have loved it. Okay, so he would have loved it. He would have been absolutely in his element. <laughs> Okay, so like uh, in the original, obviously um, Johnny Utah goes to f- uh, f- uh, I was going to say Fame Academy, but I mean FBI Academy <laughs> to because he he used to be a football star and blew his knee out. So, um, but they could do something as simple as that. And in this, the heavily tattooed man goes to become an FBI agent because he was alongside a man that died on his bike after he he fell to grab his arm. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they, he's an, he was an extreme sports guy, and the the, the, the film opens up with this quite athletes. They keep calling themselves. Uh, they don't want to. They don't. Uh, extreme sports sounds a bit corny, I guess, nowadays to yeah. these chaps. But um, starts off with quite an impressive bit of dangerous motorbike cycling uh, or motorbiking <laughs> down some ravines and across yeah. the desert, and they do a, a mad stunt. He persuades his friend to do this crazy jump, and his his friend overshot shoots the jump and ends up falling to his death but the thing that annoyed me is in this bit he didn't like just fall straight away didn't just not make it he kind of got it skirt and then he was kind of oh oh i'm on the edge what should i do oh no try and rev the engine a bit fair enough you know you might think and he runs over and he's just holding on to the bike (laughs) it's like (laughs) the bike's gonna be fine dude if it falls off a cliff grab grab the dude just pull him off the bike. Yeah, he could have grabbed his hand or anything. It seems it's, it's ridiculous. It's another Titanic moment where you yeah. just like this. This person does not need to die. Just climb on the fucking planks, it's like, Johnny. It's like it's like grab my hand. It's like no, you need to die <laughs> in, for the purpose of the film. Otherwise, I'll have no angst. I need angst, man. I got wife and the kids. <laughs> 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 oh dear so yeah he was the uh, the MacGuffin or the catalyst to um... yeah we have to compare and contrast so the, the good thing about the first one is the journey of Mr. Keanu Reeves Johnny Guter in, in that film you know he goes to infiltrate the gang can't surf learns to surf and that's kind of his whole angle there's also you know a love interest etc so in this there's no there's no path there's no journey this guy takes he just kind of turns up he knows they're criminals they know he's an fbi agent he follows them around these six seven macguffin fucking set pieces these set pieces are to do with this asaki eight mission that these guys are on Uh, right yeah yeah that was it the asaki eight (laughs) 
which is a set of challenges which are set to sort of once you've completed them you're supposed to become like zen-like right yeah and this is kind of annoying in the sense that like so they said oh this guy is Aki he was one of the greatest he set these these eight challenges that will you know if you do them then you'll you'll reach nirvana they challenge each and every part of the 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 earth and air and blah oh yeah how many did he do oh he died during the third one (laughs) fuck off it's like the third one not even like seven he didn't just get seven done he got three of the eight and during Mm. the third one he died um, although that turned out to be bullshit because there was some random fucking crappy backstory later on which was pointless and I don't remember it worth, yeah, yeah that's how badly it was we have two crimes on two different continents diamond sorting facility in Mumbai and today's cargo plane over Mexico but there's a third crime on a third continent you're saying this is connected to the other two I think they're all connected sir and what are they really up to here I don't know why they're committing the crime, sir, but I have an idea what they're chasing. I think they're attempting something called the Ozaki 8. This is Ono Ozaki. He was an eco-warrior. He challenged the extreme sports world to a series of eight ordeals that he said honored the forces of nature. I think it's worthwhile mentioning this point. Like I said, I mentioned the, the, the five or six set pieces that you find around. They are brilliant. They are shot brilliantly. They are CGI free, from what I can tell, most of them. And they look absolutely stunning. That is, I don't think, unquestionable in this film, is that the shooting of the three... Is it three? So you've got the, the motorcycling bit at the start. You've got the surfing bit on the big wave. Uh, there's a good parachuting bit. Um, there's, a, there's a yeah the wingsuit bit and then there's snowboarding bit those sort of five pieces are brilliant and they remind you of those extreme channels that you get in sort of like decent bars when there's no football on they just throw them on in the background and as pieces of work like that absolutely stunning flawless and as I say I think from reading some of the trivia about it completely and utterly CGI free they just did it i mean they the, for the wingsuit part which looks incredible i mean if you watch this film watch it as far as the wingsuit part then just turn it off because you've seen the best bit of it at that point mm. yeah, as, yeah as a film it's a great screensaver i found as well that the dialogue and the voices were really quiet in between like yeah. the big set I think pieces they did on purpose because i think they cut this film and the soundtrack obviously for cinema i think if you went to the cinema and seen this film you probably come out and thinking I could have spent, you know, I could have spent my fifteen quid worse because, as a, as a, a big screening um, thing, I imagine it was probably ear shattering um, mm. and, and um, eyeball wrenching. So, yeah, I, I think they very much cut the soundtrack for it, but it was very much one of those ones where you had to turn it up at home yeah. during the, the speaky parts, and then oh my fucking god, turn it down quickly when. <laughs> when they started or hell breaks loose yeah yeah, yeah. because um the dialogue in it is that they kind of move away from the surfer dude type you know dialogue and they've moved into some sort of more uh i don't know they still sound like master splinter as opposed to michelangelo yeah Um, what are you doing here you what do you mean i remember you your reputation more balls than talent Some said maybe that was why you were so good. 
because he lacked fear. But what I saw in that wave yesterday, that was different. You lacked respect. There was no connection. There was no beauty. The, the woman in it. I think. Oh, that was a completely pointless shoe in for her. I mean, absolutely ridiculous bit Samsara. of screen time. You'd instantly regret sleeping with this woman. Because <laughs> you'd be like, yeah. oh, God, she's going to fucking stick joysticks all over me and start chanting at any second. No shoes ever in this woman. There's a bit later on in the film where one of the uh, one of the crew or one of the one of these extreme sports guys gets killed during the uh, snowboarding scene, and they have yeah. like a, a funeral pyre for her, don't for him. Yeah. And she's grin- she grinning the whole way through it. <laughs> she finds this. It's almost like she's found it hilarious. She like she planned the whole goods. thing. <laughs> she's, she's got a torch in one hand, smiling away. Um, I was thinking, Christ, this guy's just died. Show some respect. <laughs> uh, and then they go and have a massive party. It's, it's, a very, it's a very difficult film to review because... Because <laughs> it plays a, like five sound... It plays like five music videos is why it's difficult to review. Yeah, yeah. And so everything in between is, is, is really irrelevant. I mean, obviously, Johnny Utah, uh, the character, cottons on and wants to wants to sort of bring this these group this group down but where the difference between this and the original is that there is that bromance element or that camaraderie and that friendship that he develops with uh, Patrick, Patrick Swayze's Bodhi which was a fantastic character on screen so yeah. much chemistry between the two of them yeah um, and with this film he sort of just seems to just um, stitch him up earlier uh, in a, and and then it's just a case of a, a sort of a cat and mouse um, situation where he, he keeps turning up at places he thinks Bodhi's going to be to do something extreme to yeah. try and catch him uh, which never works and we've got to talk about the uh, the most famous scene in not just the uh, point break but in action as well I think that before the, you get that I just want to touch on a point you made there is, mm. in that, is that like you nailed it in the sense that there is literally no development like in the original he goes from like junior, unlistened to FBI agent. He goes from undercover guy that can't surf to surfing guy that isn't kind of torn between being the FBI agent. Um, also, he doesn't know who did these crimes. Like he knows it's surfers, and he kind mm. of falls in with Bodie, but he thinks there's these other group of people. There's this, there's like an investigation that <laughs> takes yeah, place, yeah. and you kind of go along with it. You think, oh, was it? flee from red hot chili peppers or or was it Bodhi? in this everything's obvious from the, the get-go like there's no mystery at all mm. and there's no there's no development of anybody yeah sorry you carry on the budget or what budget they had has gone on these these spectacular uh, action sequences or, or extreme situations and everything in between is just to get i reckon to get to those next points I've got a note down on my phone that just says where are the actors where where are they there's one <laughs> There's, uh, you know, Ray Winston. We know there's the chap who plays the the commissioner, the sort of the. the, the oh, Delroy Lindell. Yeah, he's he's, um, he's good. He's, he's, he's been in loads of stuff. Well, and then of course he's he's he can probably read the telephone book and make it sound dramatic. So he does all right yeah. with what he's got. Um, and then yeah, this chap uh, who plays Bodie's relatively well known, but everything everybody else is is not done a great deal as far as I know. And again, that flies in the face of the original, doesn't it? Because obviously Patrick, Star- Patrick Swayze was a big star at the time. Kenny Reeves was a huge star at the time. And then you add some like stalwarts like Gary Busey and... Oh, and he's fantastic. 
and, and crazy. Laurie, Laurie Petty. Yeah, he's cra- crazy. Our friend Laurie Petty. Our, our tank or buddy Laurie Petty. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Brush your teeth. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. the scene, the scene is where um, Keanu scene. Reeves is, is chasing uh, Patrick Swayze after they've he's discovered him. He's been uh, he's robbing this. He does a bank robbery, but he, he instead of shooting him in the back, he can't do it. So he goes, ah, he can't do it because he's shoots, his mate. Yeah, shoots into the air, and then Hot Fuzz did a parody of it, didn't they? He talked about it in, in, in Nick Frost yeah. and Simon Pegg's characters, and then <laughs> I actually did got, my um, my Nick Frost impression whilst there because Sally was still in at that point. And I was oh, like, have you ever fired a gun in the air and gone, ah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quality. But then he does it in this film, the remake, doesn't he? And it's just... It's yeah, just, so I was trying to think of any of the bits, you know, sort of like... Because quite often, obviously, we saw it in Ruby Cop with a few uh, little moments. Homages. Where they kind of Yeah, the little homage. That's one. The bit where he, he shags, I don't know, the, the woman element in this film... Um, it's yeah. kind of the only other one. The the, the the fact they've got presidents drawn on their bikes right at the very yeah, very the start. dead presidents, yeah, dead yeah. presidents is probably the only other one. But the the rest of it they just completely ignored. The guys are called the same thing, but apart from that, because not even much surfing in this fucking film. There's like one bit. I mean, it's big wave and it's quite pretty, but that's it. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fire some notes at you, and then see if they please do. Cut, please do. See if they um, fire off any remembrances from the film. Sexy swimming. Yeah, always love Se- a bit of that. But I love there's a bit of it. Like she she dives in the water, and he's like, "Should I? I'm an FBI agent. I think even if you're an FBI agent, you're allowed to go swimming." Um, but also, but he's he's only met her within like thirty seconds prior to yep. that, and they, she gives him the the glad eye straight away. <laughs> yeah, but she gives him the glad eye underwater. Like she dives in, and then he's like, "Oh, should I?" He's sort of in the water, and then she kind of does this thing where she turns as if in the street, <laughs> gives him the glad eye, picks up a rock, and then dives down a bit further. For all he knows, she's fucking committing suicide, and he's just following her down there. Bad car CGI, a, a crime in any film these days. Hmm, I don't remember seeing it. So, uh, Ray Ray Winstone and um, Johnny Utah uh, in a car. And bear in mind all the extreme sports they filmed, like in a one on one relationship. That they've clearly just got like the green screen car thing going on, where there's like a, a film and a jiggling about a bit backwards and forwards the point where you break <laughs> oh do you remember this bit chris do you remember this bit Dear. no oh god right so i hate this in films where films um go to great lengths to try and get the name of the film in a bit of dialogue in a, oh, okay in a, in a in a way of trying to justify the name of their own film and this was a doozy. This was great. So this is the... Uh, they, were, they, were, they were stood about to do the wingsuit bit. Or just before that, something. There were, there was mountains involved. So there could have been about mm. three or four bits in this film. And then someone goes, oh, let's see if you can find your breaking point. Right? Which I think is perfectly clear what, what a breaking point is. But not to, not to Luke Bracey, not to Johnny Utah. So Johnny Utah looks up. What do you mean, the breaking point? And then another guy says, mm-hmm. the point where you break. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Whilst you're on the subject of clangers, uh, I've got a couple of quotes for you as well from the oh, film. This on. is Bodhi. Bodhi at one point says, if a tree falls in the forest and no one puts it on YouTube, did it really ever happen? <laughs> okay. That's very meta. And there's another one. Johnny Utah says to Bodhi, do you have any idea how many people you've killed? How many laws you've broken? And Bodhi scoffs. <laughs> the only law that matters is gravity. <laughs> Lives mean nothing to him, only gravity. <laughs> but it's a massive dick-heavy film, isn't it? It's just loads oh. of penises flopping about everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is just that the trailer, just like close-ups of crutches running around. Because yeah. it's a fair representation. Um... I also put like like you mentioned about the the, the funeral pyre, mm. yeah. So that the guy dies on the mountain. They take him down, and like rather than just sort of I don't know, taking him to the undertakers, they just bury him and have a party around him. I, mm. And I'm thinking to myself, can you just burn a body? Is that I mean I know obviously law isn't really up on their lists of things to give shits about, no. but like. I've tried to burn things in my garden. <laughs> yeah. Never a body, admittedly, but like just like unwanted bank statements, for example. Foliage. Foliage, yeah. Right, so I, I, I make a fire. I put my unwanted bank statements on there and a, a bit of foliage and maybe a, a, an un, un, unretrievable broom handle. <laughs> um, I set fire to it. It burns. And in the morning... There's about thirty percent of it left still. So embers. You've got well, not embers. You've got you know, bits and pieces of you've got blacky bits. But you can you can de- you can decipher. I think a broom handle out of it probably. Yeah, there'd be a broom, it. and there'd be there'd be randomly you'd like stir it up a bit, and there'd be a whole bank statement just completely untouched. So Strange, I'm thinking there must be part of this guy just in the front lawn afterwards, just like an arm or something. Because there's no way they're gonna, he's going to effectively burn away. Anyway. And also they didn't give the parents or any f- members of the family, close relatives, the, the opportunity to come and witness the the fire. Well, maybe that's what he wanted. I mean, he just said, look, if I die now off this mountain, that, yeah. um, just burn me and have a party. And just, don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care there's bits of me left over. <laughs> don't even tell my mum. Then, then after that, after the shag fest, he go then has to go be off to go be an FBI agent again, and um, <laughs> Ray Winston has pictures of him having sex already, <laughs> which I think is incredible. Um, he's obviously popped down to his local snappy shooter, and they, he says, "Look, I know what you've been up to. You fucking mug. Look at this. I'm first as fuck. <laughs> I'm first as fuck. You know what I mean? You know what I mean?" I'm looking tasty at you as a stupid little man. <laughs> right? Having sex underwater with no protection. <laughs> he was having extreme sex. But the, the pictures that he's got are obviously just literally screen capped. They're so lazy. They're just screen capped from the previous scene. So it appears that whoever was taking these pictures was probably stood about a foot away, <laughs> which I think is a bit creepy. Um <laughs> So yeah, just, watching you having sex. Hey, don't mind me. You carry on. 
What's the point of Ray Winston in this? I film? don't know. He just he just pitches up at one. Well, they obviously needed a Jack Boosie character. They're like, oh, Gary Boosie, Gary Boosie ca- mm. character. So they're like, we need another. We need a wizened old guy. But the thing is, they they even take away because in the original, it's Gary Boosie's is ostracized because he has this theory about who these bank robbers are. He thinks that they're surfers, and he's the only one that does. Yeah. Um, and in this. He's just like a glorified CGI so- chauffeur because he does nothing apart from drive him in a boat to the surfing place, mm. take him in a car to another bit, and that's it. He's got nothing. He offers nothing. Yeah, at least in the first film as well, Gary Boosie has a couple of meatball sandwiches. Two. 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 Oh, got to do the fingers scene. when you say that. Two. Yeah. Johnny. Two. Oh, I love that film. I just want to go and watch that film. It, that's it. That's the only good thing about this film is it makes you want to watch Point Break. Okay, so we're rapidly approaching the end of the film, and uh, at this point, I was repeatedly checking how much runtime was left on the fucking film because I wasn't. I didn't want to be here anymore. And and then they go to rob a bank. So they go. They go old school. They go back to because they need funds again. Now they finally need money again, and. <laughs> They're, they're going to rob a bank. They they just make this assertion. They're going to rob a bank. Oh, no, they're going to... Look, look at them on bikes. They're going to go rob a bank. What bank are they going to rob? And they're like, quick, check... Get random computer man to check banks. Oh, there's only one bank open today. Oh, Jesus. So what bank's that? Uh, it's, well, weirdly, odd. What do you mean? Well, it's not going to be that one. Why is it not going to be that one? It's at the top of a mountain. Oh. I would. Why, I mean, I'm not being funny. There are branch closures all over the place. My local high street has lost its Nat West <laughs> because not enough people go there. But yet, in the middle of the Italian Alps, they decide, you know what, we're going to keep this branch open because uh, Mrs. Heidi Clough over there um, really needs to occasionally deposit her uh, collection of two peas. Um, make a deposit. There's no reason for a bank to be there apart from to have a place to drive up to and and jump off of. So we have this like set this really bad shootout. It was awful. I mean, like I said, the the, the action film scenes in this film cannot be questioned apart from when they're not extreme sports based, in which case they're they're highly questionable. It's quite an up close and um claustrophobic gunfight, wasn't it? And it was a bit it's just a bit clunky. It was horrible. There's there's a period when they all just stood there, and there's also another period where even though they're surrounded by police shooting at them, apparently just stood to the left of the doorway is enough protection for them to have like little chats and you know painful. Like at one point, one of the, the guy gets shot. One of the one of the, the guys. Right. Everyone dies in this film. Everyone dies in this film. It's a fucking spoiler. Everyone dies. If you're talking about toxic masculinity, this film should be like a fucking PSA advert for yeah. um, you know um, how to avoid toxic masculinity in your workplace. Um, you know, don't do downhill skiing if you're fucking shit at it. Uh, <laughs> don't get involved in bank robberies. Um, but yeah, so he gets shot. So he gets, but he has time. Mm. To, to to do the whole cradle him as he's dying and the life eeps out of his eyes. Mm. What are the police doing at this point? Did, would they not think to themselves, do you know what? Now's a, a good time to maybe have a either, either A, carry on shooting, or B, run up and arrest the people doing I it. I think just out of respect for the chap <laughs> that died, they just went, guys, guys, hang on a minute. Guys, give, give him a minute. He's They're just having lost a little mate, moment. Right? Right, we need a little bit of we need some sort of humanity and drama in this godforsaken yeah. film. Come on, guys, we're we're, we're policemen, not police animals. Let's... 
And then a random third bank robber jumps out the window and you're like, oh, who could this possibly be? Uh, this is Mrs, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's his missus. But we did we didn't know that, did we? So he chases him. No, she, he, she's wearing armor and is occasionally played by a man in this section, um, in, in a way, in an attempt to disguise her. But um, like he, like she ends, he ends up shooting her, doesn't he? He does on a on a um, what do you call him? Cable car. Yeah. But the thing is, she was definitely going to fucking shoot him. Yeah, I, I think by that time she'd she'd had enough. <laughs> Uh, she wanted the film to end so she's going to kill the, the main lead or one of the yeah. lead actors she's like fuck this I'm out of here this oh is my, my film now I'm going I'm to cut down on the number of dicks in this film one by one but then, then the last bro dies climbing a mountain oh bro bro we're just near the top bro dude ninja turtle see you time soon, dude uh, boom, boom. There's lots of um, uh, shots of fingers during that climbing section. I don't know if you noticed. Because they, they, I don't think they, they thought that we would appreciate how difficult climbing a, a, <laughs> near, a near vertical <laughs> face was. Yes, yeah. so it is hard. And you, they had no, they had no uh, ropes or string uh, to help them. At one point, you do see him put his index finger in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, Genius. Just, yeah, you know, bit of, bit of powder, talcum powder on the end of it. <laughs> but it's almost like you know it's like mountain pornography yeah oh. oh look at him sticking that finger in there he's going, going in dry as well <laughs> it's like well, that's, that's never going to fit in there is it oh god he's got two fingers in it now <laughs> Which brings us to the um, uh, the end of the film. He, he jumps off the mountain backwards and they both live randomly after falling what must be 2,000 feet. Yeah, they, they, they realised at this point that the director of the writer said, no, this is not the end. We want another. They want, we want them to bring them together once more. Yeah, so maybe they, the, maybe this is actually the third callback, isn't it? Because the, mm. obviously the end of the first one is um, uh, Utah finding him finding Brody on the on uh on Bell's Beach Bell's Beach that's right with the, the massive wave with a big wave and it's like end the road brah he's like yeah don't do it man Michelangelo's gonna be so upset <laughs> sorry sorry the beach is closed out dude it's not closed out I'm just waiting for my set and he just lets him run off and die and then they have this a similar thing to this so the the, the, the one missing challenge was a, a big wave ride and so um, Johnny Utah he hops on a helicopter and just <laughs> randomly flies out in a storm the most stormy weather that all the helicopter pilots said yeah no it's fine we'll take you into a stormy sea uh, and he just finds the boat like randomly yeah in the middle of the ocean and <laughs> totally has a easy it's just shite what an utter shy premise but the, the CGI and, and, and the bit of this was terrible because like you say it was like if you look at the scenery mm. clearly stormy if you yeah. look at the hair or their ability to have a normal volume conversation and his ability just to literally lower on a rope to a moving boat yeah, no. not even a wobble just straight down like a yeah, fucking arrow you're right they have a conversation don't they and it's um 
perfectly pitched and quiet. Yeah, his and, and his fringe moves three times. I counted them. I wrote them down. There was a, there was three individual movements of the fringe during the mother of all storms. You could tell um, they were just in the, in a car park with someone with a hose pipe on them and they were just CGI <laughs> them in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah, but then he goes off and dies, um, and again, it, utterly pointless. He, he he should have just basically not not endangered the helicopter pilot's life and just stayed at home and probably thought to himself, he's probably going to die out there, and um, he, he did. did. Yeah, good, good. And Death. that's the end of that. I read a, a fact about this: is that this film had fourteen minutes of fucking credits. No way. 14 minutes what because of all the diehard people um, like apparently all the second shootings of all of the the set pieces the five set pieces we mentioned mm. um, just had huge crews massive crews mm. um, like the the one in um, Angel Falls Venezuela apparently you're not allowed to damage the ground in any way so they have to create like um, platforms to like live and work and sleep on Mm. And it was like, yeah, near military operations. So, like, you know, fucking kudos for getting all that shit done. But, man, it could have been on a better film than this. I think there's, just to go back to, like, the reason for this film to exist and things like that. Obviously, the the, the, the point of remaking it, it's the chap that um, did the first Fast and Furious film. So it's got a lot of, like, similarities in terms of the, probably yeah. some of the pacing and the shooting of some of it. Um, but, um I mean, I wouldn't have minded um, a remake of this film if for for a, a millennial audience, if uh, it was a decent cast, decent actors, and all this whole extreme sports angle is perfect. It makes sense. Uh, an, yeah. eco, an eco standing uh, or outlook on everything, uh, bringing it right up to date, modern, agreed, and people like Robin Hood type situation, which is kind of think what they were trying to get at. Um, I think it would have done really well. It would have, would have been great, but the, 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 they just really uh, missed a trick. They just didn't get good. The scripts, the script is poor. Uh, the, the dialogue is obviously bad. As was a result, the actors don't really do anything with what they've got. Uh, and what we've got is these vignettes of awesome action, or yep. you know, sp- not awesome action, but uh, what would you call it? Yeah, stunts, basically. Yeah, um, just, extreme yeah, stunts. Just- Awesome screensavers, five awesome screensavers, pieced together by some heavily tattooed, single m- monochrome tattooed. By the way, obviously, that is the way these days. Monochrome yeah. tattooed people. Uh, not a woman in sight, apart from one woman who's given no, um, no depth or character at all. She's just there uh, to, for the for the sex. So yeah, just in great. it for the sex. Uh, you know, really poor, really bad, disappointing, and. A question for you then, Chris. Um, is mm. this more or less disappointing than the Robocop remake that we've reviewed and covered? That's a good question. I think it's more disappointing than the Robocop remake because there was elements yeah. of Robocop which is actually, still are okay, I suppose. They actually tried hard, harder, I think, to actually make a story and the actors acted, whereas in, in this film, there's no acting to be seen. <laughs> So before we go into looking at some uh, opinions of other people on, on Tinternet, I'll play that, that uh, interview now, shall I? Yeah, please. I'm looking forward to this. So just a reminder, it's with uh, Colin Patterson, who's the BBC Arts and Entertainment Correspondent. We talk about a lot of good stuff. Here it is. 
Hello, it's Chris here from the Movie Bunker podcast, and today I'm delighted to be joined by BBC Arts and Entertainment correspondent Colin Patterson. Hi, Colin, and welcome to the bunker. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to ask you first off where it all began and, and to talk a little bit about your background, if that's okay. Oh, gosh, yeah. I guess like everyone <laughs> grew up uh, going to the cinema all the time. The, the Muren Toledo was the first cinema I ever went to. This is in the south side of Glasgow. The first film I was ever taken to was a pretty good one. My dad took me to Star Wars. Scotland in 1978. By 77 it had opened in the States and 77 was all about Star Wars presence so I got an R2-D2 for Christmas so I was absolutely pumped by the time I, I had my sort of half mile walk to the Muren Toledo with my R2-D2 and Snowy Bear my, my cuddly toy and we went to sat the cinema the lights went down and the music kicked in for Star Wars and I turned to my dad and went when I go to the cinema will my heart always beat this fast? Oh, amazing. Which is a, it was a special day. And it pretty much has. It pretty much has. There's still that moment when the lights go down and the film's about to start. No matter what it is, you've got that sense of anticipation. You might be about to see something as brilliant as the first film you ever saw. Yeah. And it's very seldom happened. But I'm still, you know, I'm still excited every time. So what happened then? How did you get into like, reporting and, and journalism presenting? I actually got into it because of my last year of school, our modern studies teacher, I'm going to name check him, Alec Dunlop. I don't know if he's still about. Hello, Alec, if you are. And he set up a school radio station and you could broadcast from behind the school stage into the sixth form lunchroom. And this idea of being able to inflict your taste on other people appealed to me greatly. And that basically took off. I then went to university in St. Andrews, where there is no radio station. So I used to drive through to Edinburgh to work for free at weekends, cutting goals montages for radio stations, covering the Edinburgh Festival. That got me into a postgrad in London. And then, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, my first ever jobs were at the big breakfast Do you remember that oh brilliant i miss it still i was a voiceover guy on that we the thing something called the sizzler where we did the uh, day's entertainment news so you'd go out to a premiere interview someone go back and cut it leave it to go out and then you'd switch on in the morning and watch johnny vaughn talking so much you'd think oh my whole day's work's been <laughs> dropped oh yeah break Yes, it has. But it was a tremendous fun to do. We used to get flown to New York, courtesy of film companies, to go and interview people. So I went and remember doing, remember doing Julia Roberts in New York, Robert De Niro. Oh, those were oh wow. Does any, any sort of young aspiring journalist dream to, to actually physically interview the people that you've watched on screen for so many years? It would have been amazing. Oh. I tended to always get to interview them for the films you would not want to interview them for. When you think of Robert De Niro's career, you don't tend to think of Rocky and Bullwinkle, <laughs> which is the film that I interviewed him for. But I remember, he's not the great, I feel bad saying this, but he's not the greatest interviewee, Robert De Niro. Kind of all his charisma is up on the stage. But I remember he did say one thing that made me laugh. So I was talking about uh, how scary it was in this. I said, will you let your, you always try and get the stars to talk about their kids in a roundabout way. So I said, will you let your kids watch Rocky and Bullwinkle? You're quite scary in this. And he just went, they think I'm scary in this. Wait till you see Taxi Driver. <laughs> <laughs> that was as good as it got. Oh, God. Rocky and Bullwinkle is a, is a contender for a future episode if ever I, oh, if I heard one. That's, that's 
shocking film. Absolutely <laughs> shocking. Basically, if you get to speak to De Niro, he's doing a shocking film. He's actually obliged to. Well, actually, um, he seems to be doing more and more films in that sort of similar vein as he's getting older. I don't think he's made a good film for the last 10 years, has he? Oh, boy. His, that's, that's always good pub quiz chat. Uh, yeah, Robert, yeah. Or pub chat. Yeah, Robert De Niro's last good film. Um, <laughs> so have you got any memories of doing any kind of red carpet or stuff where you've been asked to go and report and then come back and actually what well, turns out the film's not really up to expectations yeah the, the one the one film that i really really hope for your sake you have not seen is um did you hear about the morgans do you know um, this film i know the film but i've never seen it good for you it, <laughs> keep, it, keep it that way do not even watch it for the sake of this podcast it was i think it was 2009 and it was a rom-com with Hugh Grant and Sarah Jessica Parker had a spectacular uh, lack of chemistry in this film. The idea of the film is they're a married couple in New York. They're both very busy business types. Their marriage is failing. They witness, they're having a sort of dinner to discuss this. They witness uh, a gangster killing someone. So they get put in a witness relocation program and the two of them get moved into the countryside, forced together. And can you guess what happens? Do they perhaps get back together? It is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is one scene in it where Hugh Grant, of course, town boy, out of place in the country, gets attacked by a bear. And I kid you not, the whole cinema was rooting for the bear. <laughs> that bad. Well, he, it's this very odd coupling on on screen, I think, isn't it? I mean, it's not, the, it's not the kind of pair up you would probably initially think of when you're putting two actors together. I'm guessing he was quite, still quite big in terms of riding mm. the uh, four weddings and a funeral wave and doing all these rom-coms and uh, about a boy and things like that. So I guess yeah. he, he was gold casting, I guess. Yeah, and, uh, there's even a horrendous poster where they are all, air, there's, there's her, there's him, and there's some wheat. And they're all airbrushed and they look identical, pretty much, <laughs> on the, the poster. So I had to do the red carpet for this film thinking, oh man, what are you going to ask yeah. Hugh about? Because Hugh Grant is a man with taste in that he is a very funny interviewee if you get him on a good day. Before the whole hacked off thing, he yes. genuinely was one of the best interviewees in the business and then became one of the worst. If he wants to be, he can be absolutely hilarious. So I was thinking, what am I going to do? Because he must know this film is truly terrible. And I was doing it live on Five Live. And we were only there because it was big names. And I actually said, when, when we got to my, I'd worked it out in advance. And I think, I think, I think Fulham were marching the way to the UEFA Cup final about then. So I just, when I got, and he's a big Fulham fan. So I said, Hugh Grant, tonight, you've done a lot of interviews about the film. Let's talk about football. And the relief, <laughs> the relief in his eyes, absolutely. He was like, oh, yes, let's, let's. So we just spoke about Fulham and how well they were doing at the time. And he looked pretty happy. I think he knew what was going on. Yeah. And Hugh Grant had a lot of enemies uh, in that hacked off campaign. I don't think he even want them to see this film to punish them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he... The other brilliant thing about it was, I remember, they released it the same week as Avatar in the US. Oh, crikey. The biggest film ever. They must have yeah. gone for one of those, right? Everyone is going to go and see Avatar, but people who don't like sci-fi will need something else. Let's give them a romantic comedy. It didn't work. Does your heart sink a little bit when you've got a feeling about something and uh, you're asked to report on it? I mean, obviously, as a as a journalist and a reporter, you'd want to you want to do the big stuff like you know, your, your Star is Born and and things like that. But yeah, what happens when it's not quite so you know glamorous? 
I mean, well, sometimes you can just ignore it if something's a flop. The worst one is when you've set up the interview beforehand, you think it's going to be good, then you go and see it, and then you're like, oh man, I have to interview someone about this. The one I remember from about 2011, always loved Mark Strong, great actor. Yeah. But have you ever had the misfortune to see Green Lantern? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh. Ryan Reynolds at his absolute worst. And this was going to be a huge franchise. They were going to have like five Green Lanterns, which is the former director of Bond. Was it, Michael? it was basically a huge CGI behemoth that was truly spectacularly bad, boring, featured a terrible moustache. And I interviewed Mark Strong. And with that one, I did actually have to bring it up and say, it's not had the greatest reviews in the US this film. Uh, how have you reacted to those and to try and just get them acknowledging it because you can't just run an interview saying this is going to be great when everyone knows it's a stinker by the time it reaches the UK you really do have to mention it Let's get onto your your fondness for golf movies good and bad Yeah, everyone's got the kind of uh, the weakness when it comes to films, the genre that they love, they know they shouldn't and the one that I genuinely get excited about golf movies absolutely love them we'll watch almost anyone that comes out there was a real golden spell around the start of the 2000s when i I do have a theory about this the reason there are so many golf movies when no one wants to see them is because the kind of people who make films like golf yeah all the producers the executives the people with the money and they all think this will be the one that will break the mold because they all cost a fortune and a Apart from Tin Cup uh, and a couple of comedies, they have pretty much all tanked at the box office for very, very good reasons, but they gladden my heart. What are the worst ones, critically, that you know of that you you feel quite passionately about? Well, the the one that got absolutely panned was The Legend of Bagger Vance, which was one of the most, I think it was the most expensive golf movie of all time. There was something like, it was $80 million they spent on this. And when you look at the people behind it, Mm. Robert Redford directed it. It stars Will Smith, Matt Damon, and Charlize Theron. That is a heck of a cast. Oh, yeah. This is about a mystical caddy, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's not to love there? The words mystical caddy, set in Georgia in the 1930s. And it's, oh, man. Um, So many of these golf movies have the same tropes as well. They're all guy who was brilliant, has fallen in hard times, has to come back to being brilliant to solve a problem, either his love life or, in the case of Happy Gilmore, getting his gran into an old folks' home. Not such an exciting concept. But this one was just looked luxurious. It was basically golf porn. All these <laughs> fantastic names in these fantastic, I keep saying fantastic, but fantastically well-lit night nocturnal scenes of Matt Damon at a driving range trying to dig out his soul and his old swing. And for, for golfers, the love of these films is basically the same as watching the Dunhill on TV where you get to see guitarist Tico Torres from Bon Jovi swinging. You're like, what's a golf swing like in real life? It's just like this in these movies. You're like, ooh, Matt Damon's golf swing. Not as good as Jim, Jim Caviezel's uh, and such like. You, you do get to compare them all. And um, there is just something terribly satisfying from a golf point of view about watching these people struggling to do a good swing on screen. <laughs> I think the worst golf movie but is Caddyshack 2. Have you Caddy- seen that one? 
I've actually got the double box set with Caddyshack. <laughs> Strangely, never done the second 18 holes in, in that okay. box set. Yeah. Caddyshack's, Caddyshack's kind of acknowledged late 70 up, you know, quite funny comedy. Yeah, I think, I think it's good. But um, I, I, it's not actually one of my fav- favorite golf movies. I, I, if you should go for a comedy film, I would take Happy Gilmore over every time, also known as the one Adam Sandler comedy that you are allowed to love. It's pretty much the case with that. Have you seen it, Happy Gilmore? I have seen it, yeah, yeah, many years ago. With Adam Sandler nowadays, I, well, apart from films that we review of his for the podcast, I, mm. st- I try to stay as clear of him as possible. because well, he's so uh, peculiar, his mm. films. They're not even just basic comedies. They're sort of this strange other world that he mm. creates that I, I can't even work out why they're supposed to be funny yeah. Robert the last 10 films. But somehow with Happy Gilmore, it works. It's this story of uh, an ice hockey player who has the best slap shot in the league. And he is, he's having to sell all his grand's belongings and the removal men challenge him to a long driving contest and he finds some golf clubs. And basically he works out, he can hit 400 yard drives and the whole film revolves around the comedy that comes of hitting a golf shot very hard into someone's nuts. It's basically <laughs> the whole premise of the film. But it's got, the, other, the crucial things that it's got in this film are cameos by real golfers. That is right. one of the essentials to a good golf movie. And they go quite big. They've got Lee Trevino, one of the all-time great golfers, Tex-Mex himself. And also a great cameo from Bob Barker, who in America is the host of The Price is Right. Apparently he now views this as one of the, the, the greatest moments of his career. He said it introduced him to a whole new demographic. Every day people come up to him and talk about it. Yeah, it's a, and it is actually a funny film. I don't know why Sandler, who wrote this one with Judd Apatow, I think, did the, the polishes on it. Okay. It is a, I found it a genuinely funny film. It's certainly got a great rating and it's one of his better ones. Um, but yeah, in terms of golf films, if you've got very little to choose from in terms of what, you know, great, critically acclaimed all-rounders, it's that and Tin Cup, I think. You've, you're limited, aren't you? Well, Tin Cup is an absolute cracker. It's uh, <laughs> one. <laughs> It was the one that actually made money and I think probably allows all these rich movie execs to go, remember Tin Cup, I've got the new one, just because they want to spend a lot of time hanging around on golf carts on a golf course for once rather than just golf carts in the the back lot of their cinema. Because Tin Cup, for people who haven't seen it, this was when Kevin Costner could do no wrong when it came to sporting movies. It was directed by the same guy, actually, Ron Shelton, who did Bull Durham for him and went on to do White Men Can Jump and play it to the bone, but with, we, we might forget Woody Harrelson's boxing movie. That was a bit of a stinker. But oh, so yeah. That, yeah, that, yeah, don't ever watch that one if you've not seen it. No. I think, actually, because of these baseball movies, he was making his Field of Dreams trilogy at this time, the idea of Kevin Costner doing a sports movie was received by the U.S. box office. It went to number one at the time, actually. Uh, not Jack, there's another terrible movie, actually. Robin Williams and Jack. It knocked that oh. off the top of the box office. For a future podcast, then, yep. pick us a sports critically panned film that we should watch. Well, there's a couple more golf ones we could consider. There's The Greatest Game Ever Played, which is actually by Mark Frost, the creator of Twin Peaks. Which oh, sounds right. like it might be quite good, but you do get to see Shia LaBeouf wearing plus fours in this okay. one. It's Francis Wime, the 1930 US golf champion. Oh, it's got great lines in it, including, 
it's just not the sort of things that caddies do. And, <laughs> and absolute cliches like, give up the fool's game. Golf doesn't give a man what he needs to feed a family. This is the kind of reason why I love golf movies. So that's, that's one possible contender. And, and another one, Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius, which is, these are all true stories, by the way, the true story of the only golfer to win the Grand Slam, which is winning all four major championships in a season. But how did this get greenlit? It's absolutely ridiculous. Jim Caviezel plays Bobby Jones. So he's played Jesus, and now he's playing Jones. It's just, <laughs> the early 90s, uh, one of the Britpop bands, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, quality. And it, it, like all these golf movies as well, it has a love interest in it because they've all got to try and pretend that they're not just for golf fans. All these films are just for golf fans. No one else <laughs> approached them. So they've got Claire Florani as the love interest, as I mentioned. Uh, Bagger Vance had Charlie's Theron. Last year you had Tommy's Honor, which was a Scottish film about the, the, the foundation of golf. And um, they actually had Ophelia Lovibond from uh, W1A was the love interest in that. Oh, okay. the, brilliant, the brilliant thing about Tommy's Honor is it is a film about the, the two, young Tom Morris and old Tom Morris, who are the two guys who dominated golf right at the start back in the 1860s. And it's a film about a father and son who can only relate through playing golf. And oh. it, it's directed by Jason Connery and produced by Sean Connery. Can you see what attracted them to that project? <laughs> Did you mention Sam Neill as well? Sam Neill's in loads of them. He's in, he's in this one, I think, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, he, the RNA in this one, yeah. Okay, so he, he's, he's a big golf fan. Jack Loudon uh, plays the young Tom Morris in this. So, he, so what's he, what's he been in? Dunkirk. He was one That's of the right. Dunkirk. And he played Morrissey in England is Mine. Oh, I've not seen that. That doesn't look... I'm looking at his face, but I can't see, I can't see how that would work. Yeah, you can't quite imagine this, this charming swing who would be in this golf movie case. But I'm, I'm going to let you off then. But I, if you don't want to do a golf movie, because I genuinely do think golf movies are only for golf fans. No okay. one, one of the most curious films of recent years, and a film which still gets passed around on DVD amongst my friends, is an absolutely extraordinary film called Shot at Glory. And it stars... Ali McCoist, the Scottish footballer in question, a sports captain, <laughs> and two actors who would go on to be nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars within five years, Robert Duval and Michael Keaton. And it is a Scottish football love story. A an extraordinary film. I'm just having to look at this. Sounds absolutely bizarre. Oh, it's it starts oh. with Alan <laughs> driving through Scotland in a soft top sports car, and he obviously just couldn't be bothered waiting for a sunny day. It's just like a grey day, and Ali McCoy's driving along. It, it is. <laughs> you sold me on that one. I mean, they Robert Duval. Um, he's got such a great pedigree. Well, Michael Keaton as well has got some classic chops. But um, what a strange concept. Yeah, it was basically Ali McCoy's, who was a Rangers legend, obviously play, playing for. The fictional side, Kil, was it Kilnocky, I think they were called. Okay. <laughs> and they're like, they're like an amateur football side or a really low-rent side. And they managed to blunder their way to the Scottish Cup final where they actually play against Rangers. And the, the beauty, a bit like the golf films, where I was saying I absolutely love the fact when you get cameos by real golfers in the films, like Peter Jacobson winning the US Open in Tin Cup. The beauty of this was they dug out some, some old, 
old Scottish footballers basically to play the opposition and the uh. team. You've got Robert Duval from The Godfather alongside Bob Malcolm, often Rangers Reserve. It's just <laughs> the most extraordinary, extraordinary film. And anyone, Didier Gatt as well, former Hibs legend, playing in this film. And it's the most extraordinary meeting of Hollywood and Scottish low-rent sport. And she didn't work, but is, well, to anyone with any interest in Scottish sport at all, utterly thrilling. Well, we'll have a look and see what, which one we can actually view without spending any money. <laughs> <laughs> go for a golf one or go for a shot of glory. I did want to ask Robert Duval about it on the red carpet at the Oscars, the year he was nominated again for an Oscar. I went, yeah. have, you, uh, I went have you spoken to Ali McCoist about your Oscar nomination? <laughs> and you went into a big rant about shot at glory and what fun it had been making it. Oh, good. Well, he's, he's still got fond memories of it, and that's nice yeah. to know. So talking about the Oscars, you've done a few uh, of those, haven't you, reporting on them? I have done, uh, I've done 16 Oscars now. I think that is more than Jack Nicholson. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that's really exciting about the Oscars is you get to interview people um, in their, their absolute peak moments of their career. They've got the Oscar in their hand. They're on the red carpet. And just occasionally, it's been fun to then go and remind them of possibly the worst moments in their career. I remember Tim Robbins won uh, an Oscar, I think it was for Mystic River, the film. And um, when I got to interview him, I went, does this make up the Academy snubbing your work in Howard the Duck? <laughs> and I think, I think that is acknowledged as such a bad film. You can get away. You don't really want to spoil people's big night, but he did actually laugh. Oh, good, you got to laugh. Only done the trick once other, because it was just such a bad film. Uh, when Marcia Gay Harden won an Oscar for Pollock, I did actually do the same thing and say, does it make up for the Academy snubbing your work in Flubber? And she did laugh at that. So I think if a film is so bad, you can kind of bring it up. As well as um, the Oscars, you, you attend the Razzies, right? I do, yes. Very sadly, for the last two years, the Razzies has not actually had a ceremony. They've just pumped out the winners on the press release. But it used to oh. always be held the night before the Oscars. So it would be so the, the, the Hollywood... And shows could all run on the morning of the Oscars. I'm the winner of the worst film of the year is, but I, I, I have been to it five times. If you ever get the chance to, they bring back the ceremony, highly recommend it. And I was there for the most famous Razzies ever in 2010, when the night before uh, she won Best Actress at the Oscars, Sandra Bullock, yeah. she won Worst Actress at the Razzies. And there was this rumor that she was going to turn up and we didn't really quite believe it because there have been rumours every year that that was going to happen. And then finally, at the end of the night, we thought that they've kept this category back. I think there really is a, is a chance she's going to turn up. And when she was announced as worst actress for the truly horrendous All About Steve, she came onto the stage and she accepted it, gave a really funny speech, and she, oh, she then said... I think there's a reason why this film's won, and it's because you haven't actually seen the film. <laughs> she went off to the side of the stage, and she pulled a cart on with a cart full of DVDs of All About Steve, and said, I'll come forward and get one. I want you to watch it. So the audience piled forward, and were all given their own copy of All About Steve by Sandra Bullock, which yeah. is a pretty funny thing to do. I went back and watched it. It's terrible. In fact, when you go back and look at the cast, of All About Steve. Oh my word, I hadn't realized, because at the time he wasn't anyone, Bradley Cooper. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, he was going to be definitely in the running for winning Best, uh, best Actor. Now the Oscars this year for A Star Is Born. If I want a cast, Sandra Bullock, Bradley Cooper, 
and Thomas Hayden Church, all Oscar nominated. The one film that I am really intrigued by that we all can't see yet, but maybe we, maybe I can go and watch this one for you at a later date, is the story of the lowest grossing film of the last 10 decades, which is okay. last month. Uh, London Fields, have you heard about this one? Well, only when you mentioned it to me uh, a while ago, and I thought I, I recognise it, and I went to have a look, and I it, I've seen some gossip, I guess, about this film on Twitter. This is a story that I actually did get to um, report on for for the news, which which is what I do because this was such a flop. It actually it actually made the news because it opened in six hundred and thirteen theaters in the U.S. and managed the lowest per screen average in history for a film that opened that big, $261. I think only one other film has actually been on that many screens and managed to gross less, which was Proud American, which was basically an advert for Coca-Cola and Walmart. London Fields, one of my favorite books of the 19, I think it was 1990s or late 80s, it was uh, Martin Amis wrote it. Blur based their album Park Life on it, which is the reason why I read it back in, back in the 90s. Okay. And it's a story uh, of a woman who is going to be murdered and you've got to work out which for three lovers is murdering her. And the book is absolutely fantastic. Martin Amis, who wrote it, was involved in the screenplay in this. But um, this film was supposed to be screened at the Toronto Film Festival in 2015. That is so long ago that Prince and David Bowie were still alive. And they actually showed it for reviews at that time. They got absolutely panned. But the reason it didn't get shown in Toronto was the director started to sue the producer because he said that he was being uh, libeled by his name being on the film when he had not been responsible for the final cut. It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. He's called Matthew Cullen. He's done, he did Adele's Chasing Pavements video. He's directed videos for likes of Beck and Katy Perry and people like that. And when you see the cast, it's an astonishing cast. Billy Bob Thornton, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp makes a cameo. That's, that's how long ago it was when Amber Heard and Johnny Depp could still be in films together. Cala Delevingne's in it. Jason Isaacs is in that. Hello to Jason Isaacs. Jim Sturgis, Gemma Chan. And basically, it all went horribly wrong. Amber Heard decided to not promote the movie, which she should have been contractually obliged to because she wanted to side with the director. So the producer started suing her for $10 million. They decided they wouldn't show it in Toronto after all these shenanigans kicked in. She hit them back with a counter lawsuit saying that the producer had used a body double of nude scenes of her, making her look like she'd done filth that she hadn't actually done in real life. Oh, the wow. director has said, actually got on record saying, I've read the reviews, we get 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, I agree with this which you don't often get from the director. And the brilliant thing is it was finally released last month in the States. It's not come out in the UK yet. And the director actually managed to get his own cut released in the cinemas at the same time as the producer's cut. But people didn't know which cut they were going to see. And I think reviewers were only showing the producer's cut. It is one of the maddest stories in the history of cinema, this. And it, not surprisingly, absolutely tanked at the box office. It opened in more than 600 screens and managed to make less than Suspiria, which opened the same weekend on two screens. Which wow. is going on. This is a film I really, really want to see, to see just how bad it is. <laughs> I'll let you go because um, uh, I'm sure you've got proper work to do. <laughs> How can people find you on on uh, on social media and internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Colin G Patterson, Patterson with one T, Colin G Patterson. But yeah, I crop up on um, 
right across BBC News on uh, Radio 2, Radio 5 Live often. Um, I'm on doing some Christmas shows. You want me live? I'm doing the Christmas Eve show on 5 Live this year. As, as uh, Christmas Eve becomes Christmas Day, I will be on air. And actually, I'm kind of tempted now to do a thing on the worst Christmas movies of all time. Maybe we could get you on on oh, Christmas please. Eve of the worst <laughs> Christmas movies. Yeah, go on, definitely. Go yes. on, let's, let's, let's book you in. Let's book you in for Christmas Eve. I've been asked yeah. for ideas. This is getting yeah. me on now. If you find me a golf Christmas movie, boy, we'll be friends for life. Oh, crikey, God, there must be. <laughs> <laughs> the tinseled caddy. There you go. That's it. There you go. <laughs> Thank you ever so much again, Colin. So I was going to say I had some sort of, um, you know, information like, like little tidbits of facts about this film tidbits but there's so many about the locations of the special like jazzy yeah. bits and everything it's just they're not actually that interesting the only interesting one was the gerard butler thing which uh, i'd already <laughs> mentioned so you know it, i would have he would have got a look in somewhere in this film it was just perfect for him he God's, had uh, he had God's scheduling say conflicts please say it hmm? please say it First as fuck. <laughs> and yeah, so there's no facts. And also the other thing as well, I tried to try to get some assistance from our online community if they had any thoughts and comments about this film. Uh, and pretty much everyone said it's gash uh, without any kind of real, any no, no sort of meaty comments for me to read out. So I think everybody uniformly in our circles and on our um, social media um, reach. Yeah. As, something as, we normally talk about earlier in the podcast as well was money. Um, yeah, it didn't make many much money. It many cost a hundred and five million dollars to make, which mm. um, is estimated. So that it could be obviously higher than that. Um, and plus, you pop on top of that the the PR train that would have followed this around because it would have had a decent amount. Mm. Um, it made twenty eight million in America, mm. which is tiny. I mean, mm. that is that is a failure of a film. Um, and in cumulative worldwide gross, 133. So the only good thing that probably came out of this film is that they probably won't make another one anytime soon because they, they lost their fucking hat on this film. Well, they've lost the franchise well and truly. But the thing is, they killed everybody else. They killed everybody off anyway. Yeah, they're all dead. That Could have been a good them. franchise. In my troll through um, YouTube and IMDb for um, good reviews and comments, the best one. It's three years old, and mm. the YouTuber is um, M23, and they just simply put the fast and the parachutists. Very good. <laughs> I liked that a lot. I did have a proper chuckle. And then there was eight replies, and I thought most of the replies would just be like, you know, ah, you won the internet. And then there's other people that just tried to do other puns that were much, <laughs> much worse. Um Way in a, in a Ricky Gervais sort of uh, yeah. David Brent type way, yeah. I mean, the worst one is um, the Memzy ninety nine. The wingsuits in the Furious. <laughs> no, no, because it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't rhyme, mate. It's it not the work. same. The wingsuits in the Furious. I got one. I got, I got one. one. I got um, one. Uh, <laughs> the snow and the fast. No, the fast snow. No, uh, I'll, I'll come back to you. <laughs> But have yes. you got have you got any other nice reviews though from the IMDb? I, I really enjoyed this movie. Kind of old KKK stuff, but really enjoyable with friends. But I really rate this. This rating should be between seven point five ten to seven point eight. Ten out of ten. <laughs> 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 oh, by Gackle Dwash T. 
10, 8, 9, 6, because obviously Gackledosh 1 was gone. Um, Good lord. But yeah, the actual review title is called 7.8, and he's given it 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. 10 What's out wrong 10? with these people? I don't fucking know. I don't know. Oh my um, God. There's another one. I'm going to stick to the mid European accent. I think there's one. I have just seen this movie last week. I watched it once. Went back a second time and a third. This movie is without doubt one of the greatest movies ever created. Brackets. In my opinion. It encapsulates the core elements of the original without copying anything directly. And brings the movie back into today's generation of extreme sports. A job well done. This representation of Point Break has more of a pervasive storyline than the original with the Asaki 8 theme. It had me hooked till the credits. No one watched the credits because they were fucking 14 minutes long. <laughs> this movie is a strong 10 out of 10. If you haven't seen it, I strongly advise you to do so. The characters are betrayed in more vision representation. Ignore the five star ratings. <laughs> like the one stars, you can, you can keep them. Amazing film in capital letters yeah so ignore the five star ratings particularly the five stars that accent by the way uh, Matthew well, that's, that is going to get you some work <laughs> my, my friend <laughs> yeah I think you should get on the show reel get on, get on the show reel mate get on the show reel my, my, my range is forever growing these days you managed to capture every European country in, in that or something. <laughs> yeah I, I thought to myself why stick with one accent <laughs> When I can do, yeah, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I could do twenty to thirty in just <laughs> one terrible review. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Go. Well, I've got I've got a ten out of ten fun okay. movie. Obviously, um, I liked it. Sure, a lot of things are not realistic in the movie, but it is a movie. It is not necessarily supposed to represent reality. For those who like extreme sports, this will be an amazing ride. For anyone else. Just get your popcorn and enjoy it. The visuals are very nice. The music is on point. Do I believe anything they say in this movie? Of course not. But then again, if I had wanted reality, I could have read an autobiography, a science book, or watched a documentary, or simply go out into the world and look at my own life. <laughs> my, <laughs> my advice get popcorn or nachos or both oh. even better <laughs> and, en beast. <laughs> and <Both>. enjoy <laughs> sorry and enjoy the landscapes and the sport did you start salivating there which I really did last I realised like, how hungry oh, I am pop pop popcorn and nachos <laughs> what a fantastic review that's that then isn't it it is done that are we actually going to do a Christmas film next week now I think we should shouldn't we yeah. Well, it'll be two weeks and we'll be, we'll be into Christmas territory. I still think we're going to struggle because they all got that thing. Apparently, my, my, my wife is um, heavily into the Christmas channel and she says she could recommend several brilliant films in her understanding, but she realises that other people think they're shit. So, yeah. Well, they're, they're out there, apparently. But I think there's, 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 there's a void. It are void for Christmas films. So there's the the good Christmas films, which are overly um, indented into people's hearts because of the, the very festive time of frame of year they are and then there's the real just churned out ones where they have people from Beverly Hills 90210 from 30 years ago who's uh, in it uh, mm. uh, and they, they, they literally just churn these fucking Christmas and they're obviously trash And but there doesn't seem to be many 
in that grey middle area where we, where we like to operate. So I really am interested well, we, in any suggestions. Yeah, any suggestions? I think we'll, we'll already go. It's got, there, we've had a couple already, so we can pursue the Santa Claus, the the Tim Allen uh, film. There's there's a trilogy, and the third one's supposed to be pretty bad. But yeah. Matthew, I put to you this Ooh. this is this could be edited or not out at a later stage. <laughs> okay, because okay, it is kind of the crossover between um, Thanksgiving and we're getting into Christmas territory. Yeah, um, the film I'd like to do if you're uh-huh. up for it is Star Wars: The Holiday Special. Ooh. Does that count as a film? Are we allowed to do that? Are we, uh... It is a film. Right. Because it's an hour and a half. Okay. Jesus, is it really? Yeah. Fucking hell, I thought it was like something they just walked onto the Muppets and done, but yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. I've never seen it, to be honest, and I, I guess as a rite of passage, it has to be watched. So, yeah. Star Wars Holiday Special, it is. See you next time. Bye.